when I was looking at relocating the gallery, and a friend of mine just bought the property at that time, and uh, and he had to wait a little while to actually finish the purchase on it because they can't sell a crime scene. And at this point, they had found the body. Hi, welcome back to That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview more or less everyday people about things that have happened in their lives that don't normally happen every day. This episode has all of the ingredients that you would find in Hollywood if they were making a movie about a haunted house. If you've ever seen the original Amityville Horror, there's a scene where James Brolin and Margot Kidder sit in the attic of this giant house and discuss whether or not to buy it, even though they know that about a year before, six people were shot to death in their beds in that same house. If you knew that something horrific had happened in a house, would you still buy it? Today, I'm going to take you to downtown Cheyenne, Wyoming, where a man knew about one of the murders that had happened in a house down there and chose to move his business in there anyway. I drive to the corner of House Avenue and 17th Street near downtown. There's a Carl's Jr. only about a block away, but up on 17th Street, it's like stepping back into another time. The neighborhood is full of big, ornate houses that look like they were probably built around 1880, give or take one of which was owned by Francis Warren, the first governor of Wyoming. Two of these old houses, the ones right across the street from me, are huge Victorian mansions. They even have those conical roofs that look like witches' hats and ornate balustrades like you'd see on a dollhouse. 17th Street has a lot of history, and any one of these creepy old houses looks like it's just begging to be the set for a remake of Burnt Offerings or something like that. The funny thing is, though, the scary story I'm about to tell actually starts in the house to my right. It was also built in the early 1880s, but it doesn't look big and intimidating like its neighbors across the street. You might even call it sort of squat. But as I get out of the car and start to walk around to the front, it becomes apparent that this building made of old red bricks with the occasional crack in the mortar and cathedral windows is bigger than it looks from the street. Despite the bunting of American flags that have been added to it or the inviting logo on its wall for DeSelm's fine art and custom framing, I keep thinking back to a night a few years ago when I went on a ghost tour and the trolley that was taking us around stopped in front of this house. I remember hearing something about a body being discovered in the basement and how the neighbor had complained of anguished moans coming from the sealed-off tunnel between his place and the one in front of me. We drove off, and I didn't think much more about it. In the years since I'd first heard about a body being exhumed from the basement in this house, I heard other weird things. Stuff about a strange religion practiced in the house using pendulums and dowsing. Now I can walk past the sculpture of cowboys and a little boy holding an American flag on the front lawn of the place. I make it up to the porch steps to a front door that has one of those really low handles. I reach up from the porch, like a kid who's been dared to knock on the door of a haunted house, and slowly turn the smooth white doorknob. Inside I'm not sure if I'm relieved or disappointed. There's no long staircase covered in dust to greet me, like they had on the set of the Munsters. There's no old furniture covered with sheets that make them look like ghosts. In fact, I step into a room bathed in bright sunlight where almost every square inch is covered in artwork, and it's not spooky gothic-themed stuff. It's landscapes and sculptures of kids playing with dogs. Very Americana. I can hear the gallery owner, Harvey DeSelms, talking with someone on a speakerphone. Hey, Harvey. How you doing? In the email I'd sent Harvey before coming to his gallery, I prefaced my request to meet with him about the stories of the body in the basement with this sentence. I imagine you don't want to talk about it, but if you ever would be willing, I have a podcast. 
I was shocked when less than an hour later he responded that he would be willing to sit down for a visit. I wasn't sure if sitting down for a visit would include being able to record an interview, or if maybe Harvey would just want to get to know me and see if he could trust me first, which happens sometimes with what I do. To my surprise, he was more than willing to let me record him, and this is what he shared almost right off the bat when I asked him about what happened in this old house. So they shot him in the head, rolled him in carpet, dragged him downstairs and buried him in the basement. That's right. This friendly, well-kempt gentleman and business owner who agreed to have a meddling kid come to where he makes a living to ask about corpses is incredibly matter-of-fact. Linda Green and Julia Williams were the two women that shot him in the head and buried him in the basement. So who was this person murdered and hidden in the basement? For brevity's sake, Harvey and I are going to give you the short version of why a body had been buried in his basement. In the early to mid-1990s, a filmmaker from Chicago named Alan Ross got involved with a woman named Linda Green. And Alan kind of got sucked into this cult that Linda had called the Samaritan Foundation. And she would, I don't know, cult is about the best word I could use because it just seemed um, bizarre. And, you know, she tried to be spiritual and she would do dousing with crystals and they, you know, ended up killing him and buried him in the basement. I couldn't find out exactly why Alan was murdered, but the fact was that after his murder in 1995, his friends and family began to do their own investigation, which led to the discovery of Alan Ross's Converse sneakers sticking out of a thin layer of cement in the basement in the year 2000. Alan's body was exhumed, but Linda Green, who is believed to have been the shooter, lived free until her death of natural causes in 2002. Julia Williams, one of the group's members, was the only person convicted in the case as an accessory in 2005. Even with more explanation, the whole story about what happened is really strange. And if you'd like to understand it better, I invite you to watch the documentary Missing Alan, made by Christian Bauer, who was one of Alan's friends. I've put a link to it in the description, and I hope you'll check it out. In 2001, Harvey DeSelms moved his art gallery into the old building on 17th Street a relatively short amount of time after Alan's body had been exhumed and removed from the house. People have asked me, oh, does that bother you that somebody died in your house and was buried in the basement? I said, well, not really. I think somewhere between this really nice setting of a sunlit, well-decorated art gallery and the fact that Harvey is so forthcoming and doesn't seem scared or upset by this thing that happened beneath our feet, the whole thing just didn't quite seem real. Things got pretty real when I asked him this question, though. Do you know, did they actually shoot him in the house? What I asked was, do you know, did they actually shoot him in the house? Yeah, back here in the kitchen, about right here. (laughs) I think Harvey is laughing because of the look I got on my face when I realized I was sitting in a murder room. That is what they surmise, of course, that they thought that they probably shot him back here in the kitchen, rolled him up in the rug, and, and dragged him downstairs. If you, the listeners, still think you'd buy a house or business with no concern for what happened there, you can go ahead and sit in the seat I was in when Harvey told me that. And if you're still okay with being in a house where something like this has happened, listen to the story Harvey tells next. There used to be a staircase that was walled off, so we opened that up and made some storage. And the, the day that I opened that up, uh, that night, um, my alarm was going off. To clarify, Harvey means his security alarm that summoned him from his house in another part of town to the gallery downtown. My alarm was going off, 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it was windy, which I thought, well, the wind has jiggled something loose. 
I came down to check it out, and the police said everything looks okay, it's good. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to go in. And so I had uh, come in and looked around, and usually that back door is the one that the wind jiggles sometimes if I don't get it locked. And it was this one over here. Harvey points from the back door to an interior one off to my right, one that leads to the basement. And so I walked over to that one, and it was still locked, but open. <laughs> you know, the, the goose pimples went up my spine. I thought, okay, that's just really weird. Again, it was locked, but it was open, and so it the connection had been broken somehow. That started to creep me out a little bit. And I thought, well, I'll just get ready to leave. And I said I had a couple of bags of garbage that I hadn't taken out that night. And I thought, I'm just going to lock that, take these out so I don't have to do it later, try not to freak out, walk back in and my TV's on. <laughs> so I shut it off and got out of here. <laughs> but that was, it was interesting because it was right after we had done some some remodeling and I had opened up that staircase that had been blocked off for I don't know how many decades. Remember how at the start of the story I emphasized that Harvey knew about one of the murders that happened in this house? Things get weirder here. A friend of mine, her, her friend is a sensitive, so she goes, I just want to bring her in here and see how sensitive she is. <laughs> so she came in and was looking around and chit-chatted, and the friend didn't mention anything. So we were visited for a while, and her, her friend goes, so do you feel anything about this house? She goes, oh my gosh, that's an old house. There's so much energy in here. She goes, who's hiding upstairs? Well, I have no idea. She goes, can I go up there? She goes, yeah. So let her up there into the hallway and in between the, the two little apartments. And she goes, somebody's hiding up there. And um, not long after that, a friend of mine, Jill Pope, was doing some more research and she had found a, another story that happened here in the 60s. There was a 80 plus year old woman living upstairs and a 15 year old boy broke in and raped and murdered her upstairs. And that made the hair on everybody's neck stand up, because that was who was hiding upstairs. In addition to the 1965 murder of Lena Herbert, the elderly woman whose murder I've now independently verified, Harvey mentioned some other deaths in the house that weren't quite as sinister, but very real. Certainly the house is no stranger to trauma and, and things like that. You know, it was built in the late 1870s, early 1880s by the railroad. This was their doctor's house. It was his residence and his practice. Some of the railroaders that were hurt bad enough um, would stay overnight in, in the doctor's office, which, which was here. Jill was doing some more research, and she had found articles that were on microfiche about somebody you know, succumbing to their injuries on the railroad at the doctor's office. It, it, was, it was here. So I asked Harvey if anything else frightening has happened in the house. Oh, the, you know, there's doors that are open sometimes and things are, are in a different spot, but nothing, you know, there is really nothing that's set me over the edge, obviously. Harvey had been more than accommodating during my visit, and I didn't want to bother him. But two days later, I sent him another message asking, can I go down into the basement? I can't think of a lot of crime scenes I've knowingly been to before. I went to Dealey Plaza in Texas where President Kennedy was shot, and I've been to concentration camps and prisons where lots of crimes were committed. But there's something about the idea of walking past a domestic setting like a kitchen table and a stove and a refrigerator with magnets on it and stepping into a place where people had unceremoniously hidden the remains of someone 
whose life they just ended. But for some reason, I really wanted to do it. I needed to see what was still down there, and Harvey, true to form, didn't have a problem with it. He opens the door by the refrigerator. It's that same one that had moved despite being locked and had set off the alarm that one night. It's just a normal looking door. We're stepping over a dog dish where uh, his dog's spot eats. Oh, heavens. He's just opened a tiny little door. Um, it's, it's only, <laughs> wow. It's only about as wide as my shoulders. And we're going through all of these little, oh, like a little maze. And there's a series of steps. And now there's a spooky little basement. It's really dark. You can see the unfinished uh, walls and the bricks. Oh, there's a dead mouse. It's kind of corkscrewing around and you can see the old, old cement, which makes me wonder what might be under here. Oh, good heavens, he just flicked on a light. And now there's what looks like a crawl space, but it's super big. And the doorway to it is only about oh, five feet high. I guess you can go in there. Okay, okay, thanks Harvey. You can hear my feet crunching on the dirt. And in the distance there, uh, about six feet away, I don't want to get super close, is uh, is what looks like a crater. That that was uh, where uh, Alan Ross had, had been for a while. I asked Harvey a question probably more suited to his actual landlords than to him. Why didn't they fill in the hole? I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it, it's not like there's many people down there they have any reason to be down there so it's they exhumed him so there wasn't any other reason to do any other uh, work down there walking back up the stairs i thought about how weird it was to have something like that under your house that was when harvey told me another story about something that had happened in the house when alan ross's brothers came to visit the house when his twin brother and then his older brother came for the the trial we hung out for about a week during the trial and and so they took some of the soil they left flowers down in the basement of the hole and the the older brother said well yeah he always hung out with the artists and the weirdos so i guess he's happy here so <laughs> i'm not sure whether i was the artist or the weirdo if i ever, ever figured that one out but after our trip to the basement harvey and i just talk about normal things for a little bit i felt like something was missing I think that was because in movies about scary houses, one of two things has to happen to the people living there. They either have to have some sort of a dramatic showdown with whatever is in their house, like an exorcism, or they flee from the house in terror in a van during a dark and stormy night, like the Lutz family did at the end of the Amityville Horror. Harvey hasn't done any of that. He's been in the gallery for over two decades. Maybe I should have unpacked the equipment again and really tried to ask him, Harvey, why do you stay here? I think I got my answer when Harvey showed me a cardboard map he'd put up on the wall. It looked almost like a homemade Monopoly board, and I saw the numbered streets of downtown Cheyenne. You could see where he'd worked really hard to get statues put up all throughout downtown, from the depot almost up to the Capitol. Behind him was a table where he was building custom frames. One of them looked like it was probably for a veteran of the 10th Mountain Division in the U.S. Army. Well, some of the things that have happened to Harvey have been spooky. Harvey likes being there, and he's in his element, and he's getting to do what he loves to do for himself and for the other people in town. I think the art's pretty healing because it's so positive and pretty and, and amazing. It's sort of like in 2021 when the Pentagon put out those videos of military pilots seeing UFOs, and it should have been this great big life-changing deal, but none of us were that interested because we all had things to get done. Maybe we all have something in common with Harvey.
I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day. I first wanted to give a shout out to Harvey DeSelms for letting me come and tape him. The link to his gallery here in Cheyenne is in the description. I also wanted to thank Jill Pope, who's done a lot to research true crimes and paranormal things that have happened in Cheyenne. You can buy her book, Haunted Cheyenne, at the link in the description. And I ask you also to please check out Christian Bauer's documentary, which is also linked in the description. Please come back next week, and if you enjoyed this, please share this or one of the episodes with a friend. Thank you.